We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. So Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle. and He applied the, the clay to the man's eyes. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, Jesus had earlier used saliva in uh, the healing of a deaf and mute man in Mark chapter 7 and a blind man in Mark chapter 8. But only here did he take that spittle and make it into clay. So questions arise, why clay, why spittle, why wash in Siloam? And we'll get the answers to those questions as we present another edition of Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Welcome to the broadcast. I'm Mike Trout. So glad you've joined us. Pastor Sheely is in the book of John, and we'll uh, start in the ninth chapter today. If you've missed any of the previous broadcasts, you can listen to them and get caught up by going to the website studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. We'll join Pastor Layton in his teaching right after he has uh, shared with the congregation the fact that um, spittle, saliva, in ancient times was considered to have healing properties. And then the fact that he turned it into clay might be an allusion to Genesis chapter 2 where God made man from the dust of the earth. And so what it shows is Jesus Christ is the creator creating from the dust an eye to replace the eye that didn't work. And so it was, it was showing Jesus Christ in his creative power. And the Pool of Siloam has recently been rediscovered. It was, it was, uh, it was made by Hezekiah uh, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, when he found out that the Assyrian army was coming to besiege Jerusalem. And the, the water supply for the city of Jerusalem was outside the city walls. And so it would be easy for a, an army to come and shut off the water supply to the city. And so what the king did is he created a tunnel through solid rock to the spring so that the spring could feed inside of the city. And that's what created the Pool of Siloam. And the name of the Pool of Siloam was Sent. And so what John, is the, the author, the apostle, is telling us here is the one sent from God. You remember that That is a theme that he's been telling us about. Jesus says he is sent from God. The apostles telling us that he was sent from God. The one who was sent from God sent the man to the pool named Sent so he could be healed. Now, oftentimes we think in terms of formulas. I remember somebody telling me this story, and I've never forgotten it, so it's an old story. But as the story goes, some people were following Jesus one day, and Jesus spoke to a person and healed them. And so the people went away and they started a church. And the church was named Speak and Be Healed. Some other people were following Jesus. Another day, Jesus uh, used saliva as a medicine and, and spit, and, and the person was healed. And so that, those people went away and they started a church, and their church was Spit and Be Healed. And another group of people were following Jesus another day and saw Jesus take his spittle and make clay mud and put it in the eye. And so they went and started a church called Mud in the Eye Church. Now, originally, all of the churches were glorifying Jesus for doing the healing. But pretty soon, the churches got into argument as to who had the right formula. And the focus got away from glorifying Jesus and his ability to heal 
Instead, the church is where I can say, no, we're the ones who are right. We've got the right formula. You guys are wrong. And that's oftentimes what happens between churches. They're arguing about the minor things and not focusing on the major thing, which is to give glory to God. The fact of the matter is, Jesus wasn't formula-based. He handled different people in different situations in different ways. So the man did what Jesus said. He came back. He, he was obedient and he was healed. He was obedient. God blessed. When we are obedient, guess what happens? God blesses. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered the man, called Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. So they were having this argument about, you know, is this really the guy? No, it's just somebody who resembles him. And the guy finally steps up and says, no, I am the man. I really am. Which then begged the question, well, how did you get your eyesight? And he said, the man who is called Jesus made clay. And he, he tells the story. And then they want, to, they want to meet Jesus. They say, where is he? He says, I, I don't know. I don't know. Now, I want you to notice something here. He speaks of Jesus as a man. A man. The man called Jesus. At this point, that's all the understanding of, of that he has of who Jesus is. But as this chapter progresses, and as he deals with confrontation and questions, his knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is grows. And we're going to see a little bit of that, and we're going to see more of it next week, should we, the Lord Terry. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind, and that was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, well, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And so the people that uh, were questioning the man, the neighbors and so forth, said, we've got to get an answer to this unprecedented incident. Let's go to the religious leaders. They can explain this. And and, uh, so they took him to the Pharisees. Now, it was probably, since the healing took place on the Sabbath, it was probably not that day because the Pharisees normally would not meet for such an inquiry on the Sabbath. So it might have been the day after, or a few days after, something like that. And so they asked him how he had received his sight, and he explained very succinctly what Jesus had done. And immediately, and, you know, expectedly, some of the Pharisees were saying, Jesus is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And so they immediately closed their mind to any possibility or any further investigation because Jesus didn't meet their expectations. Now, Jesus did not break God's law regarding the Sabbath. He broke man's little laws regarding the Sabbath. Uh, they had these little laws. For instance, uh, they, would, they had a law against uh, providing medical treatment uh, to a person on the Sabbath unless it was a life-threatening situation, in which case then you were okay. So if you, had a, if you were having a heart attack, then you could get some medical treatment, but if you had a broken arm, sorry, you've got to wait for tomorrow. It's not a life-threatening situation. And they said, well, this man has been Blind since birth, this was not a life-threatening situation. It doesn't qualify. Jesus broke the Sabbath. And then they also had a regulation against needing uh, bread. Remember, back then they would make bread fresh. And there was a process of taking the ingredients and kneading it together. And what Jesus was doing with his saliva and the dust was kneading. And so there was a law against that, and Jesus broke that law. And 
There were other laws, and, you know, this was not the first time that Jesus had deliberately broken one of the men's little laws on the Sabbath. Back in Matthew chapter 12, he had defended his disciples for picking up grain on the Sabbath. A little while later, he healed a man with a withered hand. Earlier in this gospel, in chapter 5, he heals the man by the pool of Bethesda, all taking place on the Sabbath. So why did Jesus do this? Why did he choose to do this on the Sabbath? Well, he did it to display his divine authority as Lord of the Sabbath. And then secondly, he did it to demonstrate how ridiculous these man-made standards were that created a burden for people. Instead of people looking forward to the Sabbath, a day when they could rest from their regular labors, a day when they could enjoy focusing on worshiping and appreciating and thanksgiving to God and enjoying that, they were always worried about breaking some little rule instead. It took their focus off of God. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrite, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, you notice here that Jesus did not chastise the scribes and Pharisees for tithing. He said, These you ought to have done. What he chastised them for is neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They had corrupted the Sabbath turning it into a day, instead of glorifying God and enjoying God, it was, it was self-absorbed. Am I keeping my little rules and restrictions? It's all about me, not about God. The man's statement divides the Pharisees. The legalistic are saying, Jesus Christ can't be from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others are saying, well, wait, 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 wait a minute here. A sinful man cannot perform these kinds of signs. Notice it's plural. So they were taking into consideration the number of miracles that they were aware that Jesus was performing, not just this particular one. And they were saying, how can a sinful man perform these kinds of miracles? So there was a group that was speaking in favor of Jesus, but it, it was probably a very small one because after this verse, we don't hear from them again in the remainder of the chapter. And so they were intimidated into silence. So they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. It's remarkable that the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, would even ask this question of of this person because they, after all, were supposed to be the religious authorities. And the man speaks out very clearly, he is a prophet. Now I want you to notice something, and, and that is in verse 11, Jesus was described as a man. And now this man, after having this questioning and the confrontations and having to think about what took place, has come to realize that Jesus is more than just a mere man. He's a prophet. And then as the confrontation continues, he recognizes that Jesus was from God in verse 33. He comes to believe in the Son of Man as Lord and declares Him Lord in verse 38. So this is your take-home for today. Through the events of this chapter and a series of events that were uncomfortable and confrontational, this man grew in his understanding and appreciation of who Jesus was. The point is that growth is a process, and all of us should be in the process of growth. And sometimes we as human beings and believers kind of make a verdict against someone else based on some event, and that's our final conclusion. We think that that is their ultimate and eternal destiny, but that's not the case with God. 
God leads us along paths where through both our victories and our failures, we grow in our knowledge of, appreciation for, and obedience to Jesus. God says, I have plans for you. The plans are for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The New Testament, Romans 8, 28 says, we know that, all, that God causes all things to work together for, those, for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. The point is, stay close to God and things will ultimately work together for good. Keep in mind that you are a work in process. Mm, what an important reminder from Pastor Leighton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. This is a broadcast called Study Verse by Verse, an outreach of the church. The church is on the web at highlands.us. Pastor Leighton will be in the pulpit this weekend. They'd love to see you. If you do walk through the doors, let them know you listen to the broadcast on a daily basis or with some regularity. That's such important information for us to hear. If you'd like more details about the church, they're on the web at highlands.us. That's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. I hope you have a great weekend and can be back on Monday. We'll begin a new series in the book of Colossians for several weeks. If you'd like to join with us as a financial partner, you can do that easily on our website for the ministry, studyversebyverse.com. That's studyversebyverse.com. We'll be back on Monday at this same time as Pastor Layton opens the Word of God and we study verse by verse.